Hey everybody, welcome back to Eureka. My name's Pratt. And my name's Rack. And today we're excited to start our first episode of Eureka uh, with Dr. Aldama. So Dr. Aldama is the Chair of Humanities at the University of Texas Austin and an adjunct distinguished faculty member at OSU. He's an award-winning author and editor of over 40 books, has created a, created a documentary on Latinx superheroes featured on Amazon Prime, and has received recognition from the Obama administration for his initiative Laser at OSU. Dr. Aldama, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, it's amazing to have you. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you both. Uh, thank you for putting this together and uh, takes a lot of uh, kind of energy and scheduling to corral us, to, uh, you know, faculty and professionals. So yeah, good job, guys. Thank you. We thank appreciate you, thank it. You. So Dr. Aldama, this is a question that we wanted to start asking all of our interviewees. Um, I wanted to ask, what's your main curiosity? My main curiosity. Oh, wow. That's a great question. Um, well, in fact, it's almost an impossible question to ask or answer because, you know, I wake up curious about everything. Um, and then I, I go to sleep curious about everything. It's probably what, that's probably the single kind of force mo that motivates me to do anything right basically but yeah so curiosity what am i most curious about today i would say i'm most singularly kind of curious these days at least in my scholarship with with teen comics and especially bipoc teen comics so comics that comic books that tell stories, create stories using the visual as the dominant, but that reconstruct slices of life in and around and about BIPOC experiences, especially those um, in the US, but you know, all over the world. And maybe um, interestingly, this is a kind of curiosity squared because in a way you both represent the kind of the summa um the kind of the most the most intense moment in our development uh and our curiosity and our seeking and our testing of knowledge against the world and by that i mean you're at a stage of development you're you're young adults and so you're coming kind of toward the end of this huge mass moment of flourishing as young people in terms of the massive amount of synaptic activity um, in your brain and the growing and everything that's happening that is driven mostly by curiosity of the world and testing kind of theoretical knowledge with the world itself. So it's not completely surprising that I've gone back to that place of extreme kind of, you know, amplified curiosity seeking, uh, curiosity driven seeking knowledge that you guys are representative of. So yeah, that's what I'm most curious about these days, but who knows about what tomorrow will bring. We'll see. I see. So I guess what I'm hearing is your interests are almost based off of your desire to kind of uh, model like how uh, we tend to think almost like how a young person during their prime years of development is curious about the world 
um, you're trying to understand that through comic books. Would that be correct? Yeah, yeah, I love it. But also, also how you guys handle stressors. Um, in fact, you both of you in ways that um, possibly your white peers don't. I'm not saying that, you know, teens in general don't experience massive amounts of kind of stress in, in your lives, but there are other kinds of stressors that, you know, you both as brown, young brown men experience in the world that some of your peers don't. And so comic books, the ones that I'm most interested in these days, kind of distill and reconstruct the challenges specifically that BIPOC teens have within this massive moment of development of curiosity of kind of social mapping new mo mappings of social situations of physical situations um, in a in a space a social world that is constantly kind of aggressive or aggressor toward the the young folks so overcoming challenges um, sometimes buckling under challenges as teens of color, um, but ultimately finally giving us hope. I see. I mean, this is a like phenomenally unique area of study, I would say. And I, I kind of really want to understand how exactly you, you scholarly go around um, analyzing these comic books, like how you, you piece together these large conclusions um, on social psychology of like teen development from these like, you know, fundamental images, which are you know, animations, cartoons, um, just something that people don't have a connotation with something as like, you know, powerful and like biologically driven as that. Yeah, no, a really great question. So one of the big, uh, so right now, for instance, I'm, I'm looking at a, a several comics or many comics, actually, if you looked at my my desk that's piled with these these uh, this line of comics that DC is making uh, the DC inks um, their DC graphic novels for young adult series one of them for instance is um, this one Superman smashes the clan and um, this one is pretty extraordinary it's the writer is a famous comic book writer who wrote the best-selling uh, comic uh, called American Born Chinese, Jin Luen Yang. And the art is by Guri, the, this team, this artist team, Gori Hiru. And if you look at, it's kind of amazing. They take the Superman story and he's an adult, but the story itself is actually filtered through the um, a young Asian girl. So predominantly her experiences it's set in the 40s when the Ku Klux Klan, believe it or not, was still a formidable force in this country. And um, yeah, so, you know, it's filtered through this young Asian American Roberta's experiences during this period and her family's dislocation from the city, uh, Chinatown to a rural, the rural part of um, the United States. And she becomes a kind of compass direction for a slightly older Superman and helps him come to terms with his own alienness 
And in the journey, we actually see um, Superman, like looking, you know, in, in flashback moment, in flashback mode, looking at himself in a mirror, and he's literally an alien, but coming to terms with the fact that he is alien. And there's, of course, Jean Luen Yang is, um, you know, taking this this as literal you know, literalizing this uh sense of being alien or unbelonging in a country um as uh, a historically underrepresented ethnic right group and he's basically reconstructing superman as a literal alien but who finally comes into his own and is his own embraces that alienness and by doing that he comes into his super strengths and it's really interesting that there's a moment in the comic where uh he in, when he's the most powerful as a warrior in the comic he's actually depicted in a very uh traditional kind of asian way with the 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 bun uh, the Changmong uh, bun and, and so on and so forth. And so it's interesting to see here is a very iconic superhero who's now being reconstructed in and through an Asian lens because of the creators working both at the visual and at the alphabetic level to make the story. And the story is motivated and mostly driven through the eyes of a young Asian American and her experiences and what it means to be growing up in a society that sees them both as alien and where Superman embraces his alienness, his parentage, which you know he discovers to be alien and comes into his full superpowers. So then we walk away, we take away from something like that the kinds of challenges to Latinos and Asian Americans and Blacks and Indigenous, our Indigenous brothers and sisters, both, you know, um, early in our development and then specifically and especially as teens, we take away so much from this comic book about the experiences, the challenges, the, the, the kind of um, the force of assimilation and then what it means to push back at assimilation, but also a sense of patriotism, but not patriotism as nationalism, patriotism as a love of a country that can do better for all of its people. Wow, that was very deep i i mean i feel like i learned a lot just from that but just from the explanation of that uh kind of like superman comic i feel like i mean us we can probably like compare ourselves a little bit to that too you know growing up kind of feeling especially in like high school like an alien you know in this uh predominantly i feel like white uh country you know i f i feel like i've gone through like a lot of the same things and you know that uh coming to terms with um you know us being a little bit different you know that i feel like once i got to the point where i was like okay i'm different i embrace it i embrace my culture i like 
really found where I belong in this world, you know, and then from there, it just like skyrocketed, you know, I was uh, able to do things that I wanted that before I'd feel like I was scared to do because of like judgment from peers. But then, you know, after I, you know, accepted myself for who I was, I know I, a lot of it came through like similar friends who have very similar experiences as me, uh, such as Rakesh here, who I've been friends with for so long. Um, I know just being friends with these guys and all like helping each other come to terms with uh, like being an alien, quote unquote, um, helped a lot. I do. I love what you're saying and how it doesn't mean that we have to give up anything. It's, it's a, it's like, it's just coming more fully into our ourselves. Right. And being embracing that confidence and, 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 and then, you know, you both becoming like superheroes in your own ways. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, I think it's really beautiful how that story that you just described uh, it's so like distinct from what Pratt just said, but they still have like a little elements that guide like that make them both yeah. almost like similar to each other. I think that's really beautiful, and I don't think many of us look at stories like that or animation, even you know movies and things, um, in a comparison format. Like I don't think I'm ever looking at a movie and seeing how does it compare to my life. But the way that you kind of analyze that, I thought was really cool. Yeah, especially now. Um, I was actually watching a Netflix show like the other day. Um, called Never Have I Ever that kind of um, highlights, you know, the the brown or Indian experience in the United States. But I feel like it was highly, I'm not, I think it was a good show, but I think it was like represented too much kind of making fun of it instead of bringing light to the problems. So I feel like with comic books, like how you just described it, it was a lot more subtle and it allowed maybe like the the reader to kind of bring out those themes and apply it to yourself in a more like not forced and natural way, mm-hmm. especially the way that you described it, Dr. Aldama. Yeah, yeah, no, there's, you know, it's interesting. I, I One of the other things that I study, as you guys know, that I'm say curious about is, uh, you know, TV, whether it's streaming TV or, you know, kind of old school or, you know, network TV and issues of representation, but also complexity and kind of reconstruction of experience and identities. And for the most part, I think you guys will probably agree with me. um, You know, there's just a lot of it out there is, you know, you kind of, it's almost like we eat it like, uh, or we view it and like the way we might eat a big bin of popcorn, you know, without much thinking, uh, it kind of feels good as you're watching it or as you're eating the popcorn. And then, you know, sometimes some of the shows will leave you with a little bit of indigestion. Most of the time you really don't think about it again. Now there are moments when like a show comes on and I was just watching, um, reservation dogs, which is a play on the, the, the title, Reservoir Dogs, the Tarantino film that put him on the map. And it's on Hulu right now. And it's focused on a bunch of teen Native American kids. And um, you guys, if you haven't seen it, take a look. It is one of those that you're like, so not only do you watch it, but you're, you're curious and you want to watch more. And it's because there is a real willful or what I call in some of my books, the will to style in its reconstruction of the teen 
Native American experience. And what I love about it is it's not syrupy sentimental and it's not kind of rehashing the, the, the kind of issues from a different generation. It's showing these teens as very like in the moment, in the contemporary moment, um, a bunch of rascals, but really smart and witty and funny and sincere and the writing and the, the, the shaping through the visual means of storytelling, it all just works. And so it's one of those instances where I will be going back again and again to look at exactly how you know it is given shape and put together because it is very different from the kinds of things that we're used to seeing on TV. Um, so yeah, another another aspect of my curiosity, um, television, but television again in and around, you know, uh, uh, that sort of formative moment, a BIPOC teenhood that you guys are go, you know kind of coming to the tail end of. My kid is kind of deep inside of it as a young Mexapina, and that term to identify her as uh, Mex me, my part of her biology and culture as Mexican American, and then her mom's Filipina Asian um, heritage, and her struggles like you guys, like you know she's at Upper Arlington High School, <laughs> and you know you guys know how that is. So yeah, of course. Um, you know, trying to give her the space to breathe into her experiences, but also hoping that, and you know, to lay, laying that that foundation to of her coming into her superhero self, like you guys have. I see. So, I mean, Dr. Aldama, I have to almost assume that some of your childhood and your upbringing has to give rise to some of your interest in this field. Would you almost say that there's been a shift in you know, culture, comic book literature, media, um, over time since when you were a child to how the, you know, characters are portrayed, BIPOC characters, Latinx characters, Asian characters are portrayed from then until now. Um, yeah, that's a great question. Thanks. Um, and in fact, in my, in a book that will be coming out in the spring, it's all on uh, Latinx TV in the 21st century. It um i explore the difference between when i was a kid and today just in terms of tv and i talk about it as in the past being a series of moments when we saw ourselves represented to today where we see much more of a we have a sense of a movement And but and by that, of course, I mean that we are just seeing much more of us, BIPOC and our stories and our experiences being reconstructed and represented in in the space of television. Now, now, um, so we're seeing a lot more. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's a lot more quality. Um, but yeah, whereas before when I was growing up and this was, you know, in the in the 70s, you every once in a while you would have a couple of shows like Chico and the Man or, 
um, you would have uh, chips that um, bikers show, um, you know, they were cops on, on, on motorbikes in California. And there was one that was a Latino um, character. And so it would almost be like spot the Latino. Oh, cool. You know, let's get excited. And today, you know, we have Hintified, we have um, uh, um, Vida, we have, um, well, the show I was just telling you for native, you know, native teens, we have, like you guys just mentioned, uh, Never Have I Ever. I mean, there's just tons and part of it is streaming, part of it, you know, is access more, folks of color in the writing rooms, more producers, more showrunners that are of color kind of going back and making sure. So there is a distinctive difference in that there's just a, there's just a lot more. It doesn't, like I said, mean that it's all quality. There is just a lot more of it. Um, and yeah, so that's how I would kind of answer that question. I think we're on the right track, but of course we're talking about, I mean, gosh, like 40 something years. And in a way, if we had been doing things right and if education systems in this country didn't systematically uh, push out and lock out students of color and not give access to folks of color into those spaces like writing rooms in, in Hollywood, in LA, uh, you know, showrunner spaces and stuff, we probably wouldn't even be having this conversation because everything on TV that we'd be watching would be super diverse, but we still are having this conversation. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that, well, we still struggle with, you know, a very deeply systemic, um, um, you know, society that is broken for, for a lot of youth in this country. And you guys went to some exceptional high schools just like my daughter is going to an exceptional public high school, but a great majority of our kids, as you guys both know, are in a school system that is under-resourced. Teachers are overworked. Um, you know, you guys, like my daughter, I'm, you know, had plenty of opportunities like honors, this AP, this, etc. I mean, a lot of your peers don't have that, and it has typically mapped itself on black, brown, indigenous, Asian communities in this country, but um, it's also a white issue. You know, there is um, rural white populations in this country that are also being um, excluded in and through a broken education system. And you both know education in this country has been you're both living examples of this, as I am, uh, a way out and a way up. If we're gonna we're gonna call it a way up, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure, Dr. Aldama. I mean, these are such important issues that are being highlighted by these sources of media, like you say. And I'm hoping that you know, especially after listening to you talk about this, I start looking at media uh, and literature and culture as almost like a barometer for our social change. And I'm hoping to see that we see more pervasive representation of these minority groups, like you mentioned, but also not just more of them, but a, a good representation of them, like an accurate, something that like portrays them uh, well and not negative. Um,
Yeah, I mean, like, I've definitely, or I've definitely, like, noticed, like, a lot of stuff have come out. Like, I know, like, Crazy Rich Asians was a movie that came out, and it got a lot of the Asian community involved, and everyone loved it, which I think is great representation. Um, I think it was a really good movie. It got a lot of awards. I think it was really good for the community. Um, at the same time, um, there's a lot of other... There's a lot of other ones, but also going back to the quality wise, not all of the quality is exactly how, you know, you'd want to be represented, you know, um, especially like um, going back to the past. A lot of these cartoons, especially with like maybe like brown characters, um, it's always been like a uh, gas station employee or like something like from Phineas and Ferb. Just like yeah. a, a very nerdy, skinny kid. I know that was almost damaging to me as I was growing yeah, up. Yeah, exactly. Kind of tends to, you know, influence you a little bit. Yeah, and there's also, I mean, you guys are burdened, I'm going to say it as a that way, burdened with something that, you know, we see in a different way within the Latinx community in, in terms of mainstream and representation. But you guys have the burden of the model minority myth. And that you both know kind of handpicks what is desired and desirable what is being kind of identified as allowed to belong as a part of the u.s and then what is not as young you know brown asian men and there is a burden and there is a burden that also has implications for those who are not do, who do, don't fit the model minority right stereotype mm -hmm. and yeah what do you how tell me i mean i'm gonna kind of flip this to you guys but mm -hmm. you know you're the ones on the other side of this what what's your how would you respond to that um i guess like these kinds of jokes and things have always kind of been there like like people have dressed up as baljeet that i know who are indian and you kind of tend to just like immerse yourself into it and like play it off as a joke. But I, I, I would say that we would be lying if we said that we weren't, you know, subconsciously influenced by these things. I think, especially at a young age where we're not able to, like, I think now at a little bit of an older age, we're able to like kind of break out of that shell a little more. Um, we realize it's just like a portrayal on TV. But at a young age, I, I remember that being like pretty influential in how I thought other people viewed me as a child. Um, cause you don't have that much data to work with, I guess, as a child, right? Like it's really, you see something on TV and it's like, oh, wow, maybe this is the norm. Um, and so I guess that's how I kind of dealt with it in, in a negative way. I'd say that's, that's why I guess it's so important that people are producing these, these symbols of culture kind of keep in mind, um, their audiences and how their audiences end up processing that information. Yeah. Um, sorry. Um, Kind of going off of that, like from a more like psychology perspective, I'd say like there's a, I forget the term. I, sh I should know this, but, um, you know, there's like a term for um, your performance or your anxiety being enhanced uh, by the fear of conforming to a stereotype. You know, there's stereotype boost, which is where your performance gets like enhanced by trying to like 
uh, go with the stereotype, but there's also the opposite impact as well. And I think, you know, depending on what the stereotype is, there's tons out there for every minority. Um, but that's, I like, I mean, I just studied this the other day, but like, I would like thought back through my prior experiences and I was like, this has been like a major part of my life, especially younger, like in high school, that was like the, I feel like that was a, the majority of my experience was anxiety to not confer, to not conform to my, uh, like, you know, like Indian stereotypes. And so like, it kind of like was causing me to act how, like not how I would, you know, but then like, you know, I became more conscious of that through like, I don't know, just being more, um, open to like you know uh, socializing with people who have had very similar experiences to me and like kind of bringing to light to myself that like you know that wasn't me I like to be myself I have to completely you know accept who I am every part of me culture and identity you know and I think um it's very hard especially in this society with like everyone I know experiencing this like anxiety to conform to stereotypes and stuff so you know bringing uh light to that especially to uh younger people even in college i know i've seen it happen so even bringing that to light you know and just bringing it out to the surface of your consciousness uh could be a huge step in the right direction i love it and i love i love that you guys are doing this podcast and out there talking to people that are very different to you um and in a way you guys are troublemakers. And by that, I mean, like in the best sense of, you know, troublemaker, because you're both, you know, you both have chosen kind of science and in a way that is like the path, the typical path, <laughs> right? For, you know, Asian American, Indian American, um, even, you know, in my, there was a lot of pressure on me when I got into college to become a doctor and not become someone who studied literature professionally and who studied film professionally right so um you guys stepping out of that space of that kind of mold in a way you guys are you know you're troublemakers and i love that because this is where creativity and knowledge and learning happens and it's something that you're going to take back to your respective knowledge spaces that you are professionally working within and growing within and you're going to have a different perspective than someone who didn't step out of just that focus because you are learning outside and growing and testing and troubling and so yeah i, I applaud both of you yeah i think you brought up a really great point right there dr aldama um, I, both me and Pratham have always had this interest in expanding outside of like what our career path has us set to study almost. I think there's a lot of value in bringing together a range of ideas and learning outside of what you're supposed to study. And I know the same applies to you as well. I mean, we were looking through some of your initiatives with the Humanities Cognitive Sciences Institute. Um, you've had a lot of studies kind of merging the fields of neuroscience and, and literature and culture. Um, could you explain how important it is to to expose yourself to a wide range of ideas and uh, why you think maybe some of our listeners should consider doing the same? Yeah, you know, it's funny because in, until until Silicon Valley became 
a thing and people were taking notice because there were all these gazillionaires running around um you know a kind of exploratory learning and courage to step outside of comfort zones within kind of knowledge making and knowledge testing wasn't something that we really that wasn't really mainstreamed it wasn't really out there now google and apple and all those people like the interviews themselves to get a job aren't about like talking about your resume um how you might run an ad campaign etc it's like how if you were to live in rural california on a farm with 14 chickens how would you survive a global pandemic like you know it's it's pushing you to innovate it's pushing you to make connections across different um registers experiences in your brain memory short and long term emotions um deep core emotions and reflex emotions to come up with something that will be different and productive and innovative and new and um transformative and so in a way I've kind of always been that type of person wanting to test and go outside. I wasn't entirely satisfied when I was an undergraduate taking those literature courses. I love literature. I've always loved literature. I've always loved comics. Just like I love storytelling and like TV and film formats. But I wasn't totally satisfied with just character and theme analysis, which is mostly what was going on. Um, some of the courses like to talk about literature within s- historical social settings, which was which that was interesting. But again, I felt a little bit lacking. So I made my way at, when I was at Berkeley as an undergraduate to psychology, and I made my way to early development cognitive psychology because that work. Uh, you know, with kids, infants specifically, and this other great moment of massive growth in terms of the neocortex and the limbic system, the emotion and the reason systems was really fascinating to me. So what is it, instead of reading something like Superman Smashes the Klan only for character and theme and motif, et cetera, how could I read this comic book in terms of how it constructs a blueprint of emotion? And what is the dominant emotion and or dominant emotions? How is it that a visual, when you flip a page from a series of panels to a splash page, elicits a strong emotion reaction? And with that emotion reaction, also a certain meaning making kind of interwoven into that emotive response so yeah of course i needed to go into the cognitive sciences into the sort of areas of psychology that were doing the research to understand better things like emotions and how they develop and how they are expressed also how they are stunted and how stressors kind of impact emotions and the growth of emotions and reason system and the neocortex and its growth um, the 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 system of the of the limbic and the kind of hormone systems, all of that stuff. So 
when I was at OSU um, as a, and I'm still there as, as you guys know, but when I was, um, when I first arrived in 2005 and I created a big program, outreach program to make OSU a possibility for our Latinx high schoolers within Columbus. I also imagined a summer institute week long where high schoolers like yourselves and others could come and be on campus and learn from humanities scholars, scholars in neuroscience and cognitive science and start to do the work that I found to be most exciting and interesting, which is bring together insights from these disparate fields but by asking similar questions like, where does creativity come from? Why do we create stories? What is the impact of a story once it's made in and circulated in the world? And so on and so forth. So that's a long answer to your question, but it's effectively creating a, these little incubators of innovation and high school for me uh, you know, was the kind of target you guys, you know, I wanted to save you all um, the t time of trying to figure this out when you get to college, because that's what happened to me. If, if, the, if I had had what I created at OSU when I was a high school student, I'd probably be much further along in my research today. That's awesome. That was super in-depth. And I mean, I learned a lot from that as well. We actually had a question specifically on uh, the cognitions based on the books you worked on, uh, according to like cognitions. And I noticed you're working on a neurobiology for parenting book as well. So I wanted to uh, ask you especially about that. And it looks like you went ex like very in-depth about it. But um, to kind of finish off, we wanted to uh, hear a little bit more about like the initiatives. I know you went into it a, less, uh, a little bit just now, but um, we talked a little bit about your laser initiative that was uh, that won awards. And then a little bit more, we also read about SoulCon. Uh, we were kind of wondering, you know, what the purpose was, um, what kind of the experience was like and uh, uh, what it means for like the Latinx youth. So, you know, TV and film are very expensive to, to make. So, you know, so we, we want, we all tell stories. You both tell one another stories all the time about something that happened in your day. It's usually constructed as a story. You select in, you select out information, you have high and low points. You, you know, usually have a kind of um, a resolution, um, your launch, et cetera. We do this all the time. It's like the heart that beats in our chest. It is very much a part of who we are as a species. We create, we tell stories. That's how we um, kind of communicate, but also how we uh, gel together as, as, a, as a people, as a society, as a, as a world. Um, comics, what do you need? You need a pencil and paper. And if you're really good at drawing, um, you can already start, you know, visually reconstructing on paper, whatever story you want to tell. Of course, some of us aren't as good as drawers. So like, I'm not a good, I'm not as good a drawer as some of the people that I know. So, but I can tell stories. And as you both know, I've 
written children's books and published children's books, but I've always brought in illustrators for that work. But it's still relatively inexpensive. Like it doesn't cost a lot. And so, yeah, if I want to put something out in the world that reconstructs an experience, an identity, um, a, a story that has typically not been out there because of that gatekeeping stuff that I told you guys about earlier, um, you know, just a quick example, you go to the library, how many kids books are there that are reconstructing a Latinx experience? None. It's really hard to find. I know there, I have, I know tons of people are making them. It's just publishers aren't interested in them as much as they are in others. And so, yeah, that is an area that we can, kids books, comic books, we can actually like jump in and start doing. And SoulCon, the Brown Black Indigenous Comics Expo was really to bring creatives of color from all over the country to the Ohio State University campus, bus in K through 12 kiddos, have you guys there, um, undergrads, grad students, um, meeting, learning from, workshopping, um, you know, from comics creators of color, seeing yourselves as, you know, you know, possibly this could be a, a way for you professionally or or even not professionally. And the kind of joy and hope and empowerment that a collective space like that does. And at the University of Texas, Austin, um, in March, from March 10th through 13th, I will also have the BIPOC uh, Comics Expo and Multimedia Arts Festival. Um, so modeling it on SoulCon, but also embracing animation, um, film, and so on and so forth. So yeah, I think that this can be and has been shown to be a great place of creativity, of transformation, of role modeling, and finally of storytelling those um, experiences and identities that have typically been left out of the mainstream. Yeah, I think that's what makes your work so special, Dr. Aldama. I mean, we started this interview talking about your cre your your curiosities with, you know, studying culture and in all of these uh, kind of racial backgrounds. Um, but the most important part about your work, I think, is that you always have this end goal of how can we improve current state of life for these groups? How can we uh, use you know, literature, media, um, comic books, even to change how Latinx youth or other underrepresented youth um, change the way they see themselves um, and so I, I think that's a perfect place to end this conversation you showed us really a lot about how curiosity can drive innovation in the world and can change people's lives especially in such a unique like i've never heard of this kind of intersection of you know fields um it's such a unique area um and so this is a phenomenal conversation dr aldama thank you so much for talking with us i, I know both of us really enjoyed it i was smiling at brought the most of <laughs> a lot of the time throughout it um, well, thank you both. It was awesome to get to know a little bit about yourselves as well. And good luck on your journey. Please keep in touch. I do love to keep in touch with students and um, be well and have a good rest of your day. We hope you guys enjoyed our conversation with Dr. Aldama. Please subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Catch you guys on the next one.
Peace.